Megan, I have been using our sponsor Element, that's L-M-N-T, to boost my hydration for over a month now, and I'm really loving it. I'm just not very good at drinking plain water, and I love the taste when I pop one of these little packets, I like orange or grapefruit, into a big bottle of water. It's kind of fruity and salty, and it just helps me hydrate better overall. Element is a zero-sugar electrolyte drink mix born from the growing body of research that shows the best health outcomes occur with higher sodium levels. Each little pack delivers a significant dose of electrolytes, but minus sugar, artificial colors, and other iffy ingredients. Element's flavors are so unique, like fruity watermelon salt and spicy sweet mango chili. And we're going to set our listeners up with a variety pack so you can find your favorite. Right. You can receive a free Element sample pack containing eight flavors with any drink mix purchase when you purchase through our custom link, drinkelement.com slash momhour. That's D-R-I-N-K-L-M-N-T slash momhour. This offer is available exclusively through our partnership and is available for both new and returning customers. And if you're an Element Insider, you'll have first access to Element Sparkling, a bold can of sparkling electrolyte water. Again, it's drinklmnt.com slash momhour. Hi, I'm Sarah. And I'm Megan. We're two moms with eight kids between us, from little to grown. We're in different areas of the country and in different stages of life. But we both know that motherhood's a lot easier when real moms share tips and encouragement. And remind you that it's really all going to be okay. We're not experts. We're parents who've been there. We're not perfect. We're real. Welcome to the Mom Hour. Hey, everyone, and welcome to episode 175 of the Mom Hour. I'm Sarah Powers here, as always, with the lovely Megan Francis. Hey, Megan. Hi there. So we're like three quarters of the way to 200. 200. Is that correct or something like that? Yeah. And that, of course, does not count a bunch of episodes that aren't numbered like these. So we're well over 200. But in our regular Tuesday shows, uh, we're getting there. Yeah. This is one of our listener questions episodes, which we love. And to complicate matters, I've actually, as I organize our archives, I've started kind of numbering these two because I think it's fun for people to go back. It's a great place to start if you're new to our podcast to listen to our listener questions episodes. We do them every three months. We'll do a back to back set of listener questions episode. Um, And so this is actually the 15th time that we have done this hmm. Megan and we're going to do it I know we're going to do it this week and next week it allows us to cover you know seven or eight good meaty listener questions and give them our time and attention and we've got a lot to cover but really spanning quite a bit of different motherhood and parenting topics so I'm super excited yeah. it's going to be a good one Megan the day this comes out we're together so I know it's crazy we're together today we're together even we're, though we're recording it so we're not together yeah but when um, this airs we yeah tell everybody what we're doing Yes. So we are going to a retreat um, put on by our sponsor, Prep Dish. And it's actually specifically for um, other podcasters who work with Prep Dish. So I'm really excited because, first of all, we get to meet other podcasters, which yeah. is always really, really fun. And also, Allison, the owner, is super cool, the owner of Prep Dish. And um, part of it's happening at her house, which I'm really excited about. And we get to go to Austin. I've never been to Austin. We get to be together. I, I haven't know. seen you enough lately. So we're going to be outside of Austin together. Neither of us has ever been to the Hill Country. We're staying at the Hill Country Casitas. So shout out to them. We have like a little a little casita all to ourselves. Yeah. Hi, casita. I don't even really know. A little, little house, right? Like a little, little yes, house? Yes. It is like, it is kind of a little compound of tiny houses. Not tiny, nice. not the true tiny houses, but a compound of little small houses. 
This is going to be fun. I feel like looking forward to it. Many great ideas could be hatched in a little casita. casita. (laughs) I have to say it was really funny when we were arranging our accommodations. They were like, well, you could have a two bedroom or a one bedroom. We were like, well, we'd like to stay in the same room. I mean, we want separate beds, (laughs) but we're so used to bunking up together in hotel rooms. Like, what would we do with what would we do with the separate room? I guess that could be where all the like sticky, sticky notes go on the wall. But yeah, that I like like being surrounded by recording studio, mobile office. Exactly. So that will be fun. You guys can follow us along on social media as we are together this week at the Prep Dish Podcaster Retreat. Oh, and I have another little piece of news that you guys have um, heard Allison Thompson from the Crunchy Cocktail Hour podcast. She's been coming on in little segments with me at the end of the show to talk about her second pregnancy. And I wanted to let you guys know she had her baby. So congratulations to Allison. There will be an Allison segment at the end of this episode. So you listen to the end. And um, of course, we, we recorded all these ahead of time. So in this segment, we're going to talk about birth and she's going to talk about the birth of her first baby and then how she's kind of her birth story and then how she's anticipating birth plan with baby number two, who now has actually arrived. So there's a little bit of a lag there and then you'll be able to hear her real birth story in a few weeks and we'll have her back on again to tell that one. So listen all the way to the end. I know it was very exciting. She had a healthy little baby girl. So yay. Megan, the end of the school year and kickoff to summer is a busy time of the year for families, but we can all eat stress-free and hit our wellness goals with ready-to-eat meals from our sponsor, Factor. Factor's delicious meals are never frozen and can be ready to eat in just two minutes. You can pick from a weekly menu of 35 options, including popular choices like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Plus, they have more than 60 add-ons like breakfast, lunch, snacks, and beverages to keep you fueled all day long. So our team was comparing notes recently on our favorite factor meals, and Katie loved the herb-crusted chicken with mashed cauliflower and toasted almond green beans. I loved that one, too. And get this, so did her little boy, Charlie. She heated it up for lunch one day, and Charlie, who's three, ate almost all of the green beans. I mean, that's quite an endorsement, right? I was going to say, what a parenting win. (laughs) And I get it, Charlie. Those green beans are crazy good. And if you really want to treat yourself, they even have meals with filet mignon, shrimp, truffle butter, broccolini, and asparagus. Listeners, head to factormeals.com slash momhour50 and use code momhour50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That's code momhour5050 at factormeals.com slash momhour50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. Okay, Megan. Well, over here at the Mom Hour, we are big fans of our sponsor, Our Place. In fact, you, me, and our team member, Katie, were all comparing notes on our favorite product. Katie was telling us that even though she's packing up to move her family to a new house, she cannot put that mini perfect pot from Our Place into the boxes yet because she's using it like every night. Well, as someone who also has a perfect pot, I got mine as part of their mini home cook duo set. I get it. It's nonstick, which is key, but it also has all these handy features like a steam release lid with a built-in strainer and this nice beechwood spoon that nests on the handle in this perfect little peg. Okay. Well, I didn't get this pot, but now I want it. That sounds so great. Our Place's cookware is great to cook with, beautiful to look at, and healthier for us as well. All of Our Place's products are made without PFAS, also known as forever chemicals. In addition to their cookware and tableware, Our Place is also making waves with their Wonder Oven, the most stylish all-in-one air fryer and toaster oven. Again, free from the forever chemicals found in many of those air fryers. 
Listeners, Our Place offers a 100-day trial with free shipping and returns, and we've got a great deal for you. Go to fromourplace.com and enter the code MOMHOUR at checkout to receive 10% off site-wide. That's fromourplace.com, code MOMHOUR. Okay, so we have a bunch of listener questions. Um, okay. And thank you guys, everybody who sent them in. We we go through them all, and um, we should say that it's there's no like perfect science to how we choose what to cover, but it's a, it's a big conglomeration of like, what have we covered in the past? What kinds of questions kind of represent all phases of motherhood? So if your question didn't get picked, it doesn't mean we won't cover it in a future episode. Sometimes we actually think, Hey, we should devote a whole episode to that. That happened a lot this time, this Mm -hmm. round. I feel like there were several that we were like, Nope, this is a whole episode. So maybe you, maybe your question will be an episode. Right. Okay. So um, I guess I'll set up Sherry's and hers came by email, but here's a funny thing. Her question, the heart of her question is, how do you handle it when you lose your cool with your kids? And she said, I don't know if you've ever covered this before, but what do you do when you just totally lose your cool and yell at your kids? And then she kind of jokingly said, maybe this has never happened to you. I assume she was joking because and we both went. <laughs> <laughs> but Sherry, episode number one, the pilot episode of the yes. mom hour three and a half years ago, I think I want to say it's March or April of 2015 is called mom meltdowns. Oh no. So our, my, our first instinct was like, yeah, we've covered that. We did it in episode one. And then it's like, yeah, no, that was so long ago. And it's such an important question. So we're going to, we're just going to tackle it anyway. Is yeah, how I feel. Um, so I'll, I'll set this up. I'll paraphrase her email a little bit. She has a very strong willed seven-year-old son She said he doesn't like to be told what to do, pushes back and questions everything, and also has a hard time regulating his emotions at times, gets very upset if he's told no or experiences disappointment. And then on her side, she said, I consider myself to be a mostly patient person, but the downfall is sometimes I bottle my emotions up until I erupt. And if he pushes her buttons, she's a little bit of a control freak. They butt heads and pretty soon, lo and behold, like you yell, she yells or erupts or lose her patience, say something unkind and then feels so guilty and feels like a terrible mom. Does this sounding familiar at all? Gosh, it does sound familiar. (laughs) Um, I also am someone who is very, very patient and I have a long, long, long fuse, but occasionally, and I mean, I can really fly off the handle Mm -hmm. like bad Mm -hmm. and sometimes you don't even see it coming that's the that's the really weird thing about having I think a a very calm personality type and like a patient long fuse is you don't always know because it's not like the the flame isn't speeding up right (laughs) at the end of the fuse it just suddenly hits the bomb you know it goes to the detonator so yes I am I'm very familiar I want to point out that Sherry says that she always apologizes and tries to talk to her son and I would say like those are like numbers one and two yep. of the things like I consider to be the right things to do. I think it's okay when kids see us freak out. Like yeah. we all have emotions yeah, and we all get frustrated and we we're human and we're yeah. allowed to react. And sometimes we react poorly. And I think that like by apologizing and talking it through, you're teaching them a really important lesson. So I just want to give Sherry props for that. Yeah. Um, she also says that she's tried to teach, you know, model practices like, deep breathing. I would, I would say at seven years old, I would feel comfortable taking a timeout from my kid, mm-hmm. like not necessarily sending not, them away, but yeah, not sending him away. to timeout, but taking a break yourself. Yes. And like going someplace where you can calm down. Um, if you're talking about trying to head stuff off at the pass, I don't know, Sarah, what, what do you have to add? Well, here's what I have to add. I used to melt down. I mean, pretty frequently. I want to say when my kids were like, 
two and a half, five and seven. My middle five-year-old was very similar, is and was very similar to this child she's describing. And then my two and a half-year-old at the time was a handful in other ways. So I had two pretty high needs kids, Uh, a third kid who was the least squeaky wheel, which comes with its own like, you know, challenges. Um, And I just felt like I was yelling at my kids a lot, in particular, my middle. Um, And Mm -hmm. I feel like it doesn't happen as much anymore. And so the reason I want to say that is I think as moms, we get better at um, kind of like zooming out and seeing the big picture a little bit. Like when, when you spend so much time with these kids and they push your buttons so readily, your your baseline is operating at like a higher frequency of I don't know if you call it stress or like annoyance or mm-hmm. um, short fusedness. It almost feels like like the way I could describe it is I almost feel like this feeling in my chest. When you started describing that, yeah. I had this visceral like reaction right. where I had this almost like muscle memory um, of that feeling where like you're like your chest is fluttering. That's yeah. the only way I could put it like high up, like, and you just feel like you're buzzing. And here, yes, buzzing is a good word. And here's another thing that would happen with a kid like this, where you have that tension in the relationship already is I think your, your physical body and your mind anticipates every battle. Mm-hmm. And this was yep. really, I really got into a pattern of this with Reed because he was such a meltdown kid and such a, so inflexible about like what she's saying. Um, disappointment and handling emotions and all of that. Um, number one, he's eight, almost eight and a half or eight and a quarter now. And it's, he's so much better. He still like carries that personality trait with him, but it's so much easier than it was when he was five or six. So maybe that can give Sherry some hope, but also um, I don't, I, for so long, I just it was almost like walking on eggshells, like anticipating yeah. those meltdowns and trying to sidestep them, which as a mom is exhausting. And to be honest, it doesn't really help your own mental health. It's very, yeah. um, it's like well, a, and- an obsessive way to be, to have to try to like anticipate those meltdowns and those struggles. So, and don't you think that when you anticipate all the time, you almost see things that aren't there, like you're borrowing yeah. trouble. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And also, it doesn't really solve any problem because there are some kids for whom those meltdowns and disappointments are going to happen. They're going to happen more than maybe another kid down the street. And you anticipating them isn't necessarily going to prevent them. In fact, I would say that like regular self-care practices, like getting your getting a break from your kids, exercise, sleep, those things are going to leave you more ready to deal with the meltdowns, not kind of like trying to control or anticipate. Well, and it's kind of one of those things like you can only control yourself. So if you know that certain times like you have a grumpy time of day, we both we all have them. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, if you know you have a grumpy time of day, maybe making sure that that time of day for you is calmer, that you're less likely to be in a situation where there might be a blow up that's going to trigger you, mm-hmm. which some might, you know, and some people are triggered by people are all triggered by different things. I we've talked about this, like I'm more triggered by public meltdowns. Yeah. Um, you're triggered differently, Sarah. Yeah. So like just kind of. I think it's like taking care of yourself um, because that's really the only thing you can control in these situations. Yeah. And yeah. And I will also agree with you that it's gotten so much better. I cannot remember the last time I had a true mom meltdown. Um, it's a combination of things. My kids are older. They yeah. don't push my buttons the same way, or maybe I don't notice them pushing my buttons the same way. Yeah. I think now like I can kind of see it happening. and have a little sense of humor about it. And some of that is because it's not as fraught because they're not as little yeah. and because they're more predictable. And some of it's because I've just gotten better at heading it off and taking care of myself. Yeah. And some of it's because there's not a whole bunch of little kids in the house at once. So there's a lot of reasons right. why 
the where you are right now is maybe the hardest it'll be. Right. So yeah. that's something, you know, to always think about. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about like what happens when you've actually had the eruption. Um, mm-hmm. I, I agree that I think it's not a bad thing for our kids to see us mess up or to lose our cool or to have big emotions. Um, and I think they may not be ready for like an adult level apology right away, but you can definitely, I would say like an immediate check of yourself and an apology, a quick apology is probably all you need to do in the moment. Like, wow, I, I got really overwhelmed by my emotions. I should not have spoken that way. I'm really sorry. And then kind of get back to wherever you were, whatever problem you were trying to solve. But then I never think it's a bad thing to revisit that moment, like bedtime or sometime when everybody's calm and connected and just be like, you know, that was hard today. I felt really Mm -hmm. bad about the way I talked, but I also felt really mad and frustrated and everybody, you know, and then, and then you just kind of let them talk and listen and use it as a jumping off point. I think that works at all ages, really like, you know, from really little kids on up. Um, I also think it really helps to just text a friend and confess. I have people who will text me and be like, I just totally lost my, you know what, with my kids. And I feel like the worst, most terrible mother. And I can be like, yep, been there maybe today. So the, the guilt is, I don't know that we can not have the guilt. I mean, you just feel really guilty and guilt is guilt can be instructive if we don't wallow in it. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, that's okay. So that's the only thing I would say about the the apology. I really like your approach of having a quick, you know, matter of fact apology. And then I know you can't let go. Like guilt isn't something you can just let go of. I mean, that's one of those things. that's like we like to say that. But what does that even mean? Right. But I do think I do think that a um, an apology that's fact based is helpful. Mm -hmm. And one where you make yourself out to be a villain is not right either to yourself or to your kid, because not only is that not accurate, it's not showing an accurate picture of what actually happened and their responsibility in the situation and everything else. Um, it also almost like creates now even a weirder dynamic where look, I like mom messed up. And now, you know, it's like, I don't want to say where it, it makes you rife for like manipulation or something, but right. I just think it, it makes the, the, then the power the balance is all off. <laughs> right. When, <laughs> I, yeah, when you're apologizing to me, it's about showing that you're human and that, yep. um, everybody has emotions and we have choices about how we deal with them. And sometimes yep. we nail it and sometimes we mess it up. It's not about saying like, I was such a bad mom today. Now I'm going to make it up to you with extra ice cream <laughs> like that. Yeah. yeah. I don't, I don't think that's where we need to go. I will say, I think there's a difference between guilt and shame. I think guilt mm-hmm. is useful. And I think shame is what happens when we don't work through guilt mm-hmm. and like allow mm-hmm. ourselves to think we're defined. Mm-hmm. We're like, I am a terrible mother is mm-hmm. different than yes. I screwed up. Yes. And so I'm pro guilt and I'm anti shame. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like I really, I really yeah. like that. Um, I think this is so much, I think this is one of those things that moms do not share. When we talked to, when we had our episode about our mom fails, we both yeah. had a couple of stories where we just, not just lost it, but really like our anger up. came yeah. out in really <laughs> yes. inappropriate ways. Um, and so I think talking about this and normalizing it and normalizing the fact that emotions when you're a mom are like, you have to be, you have to show that you're in control when your kids are little, blah, blah, blah. But that that comes at a price of not being able to express our emotions. So whatever is a healthy release for you, whether it's like super aerobic exercise or like just breaks where you can, you know, go vent to a friend or your partner 
I mean, all of those things, there is no like those emotions don't go anywhere. Like you can't just like like Sherry said, like hers bottle up until they erupt. So um, proactively, I think we have to find ways to let that stuff out. I also wanted to switch back to having kind of a button pushing seven year old for a minute and um, offer up something I think has been helpful, which is it's easy when we're in that kind of state of humming irritation with our kid that every infraction seems equally Mm. annoying or (laughs) (laughs) like and I find it really helpful to like almost imagine myself literally rising above it and ignoring I don't know 60% of the stuff that either bugs me whether it's an irritating thing or a whining or a you know a uh, like she was saying like an argumentative thing um uh, all of those behaviors are stuff you're want you want to work on with your kids but I don't think you have to work on every single one every single day all day long. That would be truly exhausting. And so maybe there's a way she can step back and say, look, the big meltdowns need my attention because he's clearly struggling or the really uh, like severe instances of disrespect or whatever. Those need to be addressed. But maybe some of the button pushing and some of the just kind of argumentative type annoying stuff can literally be ignored. I know we did that. I did that interview with my friend, Catherine Perlman, who wrote a parenting book called ignore it. And I can link that up, but um, it it does help to separate, like not every behavior needs to be addressed every time. I think otherwise it's just exhausting. Yeah. And also I think it also then ends up setting up that, that power struggle dynamic. Um, it allows it to kind of take even a bigger stronghold where it becomes very adversarial. Right. And sometimes if, if the kid's getting attention, uh, mm-hmm. even negative attention, mm-hmm. it can become like that vicious cycle. So I very much agree. Yeah. Um, Sherry, you are not alone. We all yell at our kids. Mm-hmm. Um, and losing our cool with our kids might look different for some people than others. Some people have like the quiet, you know, mean mom look, <laughs> like, yep. you know, but we, we know the feeling when we've lost lost control of our emotions and it doesn't feel good. And you're for sure not alone. Yeah, totally not. Okay. We're going to a totally different end of the spectrum here. Well, a little bit different. And that is, um, this is, we're going to play a question from Kristen. It doesn't need much setting up, so I will just play it now. Hi, Megan and Sarah. My name is Kristen and I live in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And, um, I've been listening to you guys for about 19 months, ever since my son was born, my first kiddo. So he is at the stage where he is doing a lot of pinching um, and sometimes biting. And um, I don't think he's doing it, you know, on purpose, obviously, to be aggressive or um, evil or anything like that, because he's a sweet kiddo, of course. But um, it does hurt other little kiddos when he does those type of things. So I've read a few different um, articles and books and things like that on the subject. um, And we're trying the speak in a stern voice um, right after it happens method and occasional timeouts. But at 19 months... He doesn't really understand, I feel like, what uh, what's going on. So any advice, tips or tricks that you guys had or if you went through this, I know it's quote unquote normal, but when you are going through it, um, you're very nervous and you feel like you're hovering around your kiddo all the time at playdates. Um, and I don't want to be doing that. So if you have any advice, let me know. I'd be super uh, thankful. Okay, Kristen, thanks for the question. Um, yes, it is normal. I think that you're right that your 19 month old is not evil or even aggressive. Um, 
from everything I understand, it's been a while since I've read a book about toddler discipline, but it's almost like a, a sensory thing. Um, at 19 months old, what the problem is with discipline for 19 month old kids is that like you mentioned, things like timeouts don't make sense to them. Yeah. And which doesn't mean you shouldn't use it because a timeout can be an effective, like just get them away from other kids tool. Right. Just a reset like a reset button, but that doesn't necessarily mean the kid is going to draw the connection between I did this and then I couldn't play with anyone for five minutes. Right. I don't know. Like, what do you think, Sarah? What, yeah, was no, your, I yeah. totally agree. I mean, I don't, I'm not a timeout person actually in general at any age, but I would say if, if you were going to use a, something like a timeout at 19 months, it would be a break with mom. It would just be yeah. like, okay, we're going to go over here and switch gears because we're biting. Um, and in that case, it doesn't have to be like, we're in time out. And no, it has it's to be not for a, a certain amount of time. Right. It's literally like, okay, this isn't working. So yeah. we're going to go over here and do something else. Um, so I did pull up my favorite uh, expert site, which is AHA Parenting. And just to kind of refresh on what she says. And um, so a couple of things came up. And one is that at 19 months, which I think is prime age for biting and pinching, a lot of it is frustration about not being able to communicate. So mm. You know, this child, this little boy is trying to communicate something. It's frustration. It's a want for some kind of attention. It's he might even have positive energy and just be super excited to play. And they don't have the communication skills. So I like that what she's doing is showing like um, a reaction. And that was Dr. Laura Markham, who this website is by her. Her advice, too, was to have an honest reaction, which is ouch, that hurt, which is true. I mean, it is true. You're not shaming or yelling at your kid, but you are You're showing reacting. That, there, yeah. that there's a reaction. And then to me, it's about like distract and move on, distract and move on. Ouch. Um, I remember putting my kids down if I was holding them, which they loved. I mean, the, having a toddler on your hip and your they get to be close to you. I would also put a child down and I wouldn't make a big deal of it, but that's cl- very clearly <laughs> a natural consequence. Like I can't hold you if you're going to bite me or pull my hair or pinch me and then check in with them and see if they're ready to, you know, come back and not do that. So I think that the the quick reaction like, ouch, that hurts is helpful. It's not necessarily going to stop the behavior. The behavior is something they're going to grow out of. And so she, that's what she's saying. I know it's normal. I know she's yeah. going to get through it. But she said it's it. she gets very nervous hovering around her kid all the time at Playdate. So that's where I wanted to jump in, actually, because Violet was a hair puller more. Mm-hmm. I think she was a biter, too, a little bit. But she was a hair puller at this exact age. And I hadn't really had like an, a, an a physically aggressive kid like that before. So even though she was my third, it threw me for a loop. And we were around because she was my third. We were out and about and around a lot of kids all the time. And I just remember probably a six month period where I hovered. And I remember thinking these moms at the playground think I'm like a helicopter mom. Like they think I'm can't let my own toddler explore. Right. But really, I'm trying to protect society from right. like this total villain because there yeah. wasn't. And so in terms of what I would do, I, I just got good at anticipating. I could see when she was going to do it. She would crawl. I'm picturing crawling. So she, she might have even started this like at a year or so and then maybe continued through a year and a half or two. But um, I just remember I'd see the look in her eyes and I'd see her going for some. It was usually like a baby or like a little toddler younger than her. And she'd go over there and she would just take their hair in fistfuls mm-hmm. and just and of course now it's like it's almost funny to me I'm sure it was stressful at the time but I got good at anticipating good at like distracting and I I really don't see it as a major discipline issue like you said 
Megan. It's more of like, how can we cope with this right while we're in it and distract? Yeah. Um, and a couple other tips that came up is sometimes kids really do. Some kids are mouthier than others. So something that is safe for them to teethe on. We tend to think of a 19 month old being almost done with teething, but there are one year molars. There are teeth that come in at around 15 months. There are two year molars. So teething and just just getting to know the world with their mouth is a very normal thing. So if you have a kid who likes to bite or chew and you're doing all the other kind of pro-social emotional things, like there, maybe there's something they can safely chew on a teether yeah. or something like that. Did yeah. I- I'm, I'm looking at this aha uh-huh parenting article. And one of the things says, um, you know, if your, if your child bites, she might have a, a great deal of tension. She's trying to express uh-huh. when we feel tension, we feel it first in the mouth, which I think is really interesting. Mm-hmm. And it kind of what I was getting at with like, it could just literally be like, my mouth feels like it needs to bite yes. something, you know? So I think what, what I like about what you're saying, Sarah is two things. A, sometimes you have to hover. Yeah. Like it, it sucks. <laughs> you don't want to be that mom, that hovering mom, but sometimes not only does it protect society from your kid but it makes your job like in a weird way easier it's harder but easier because then you're not as stressed like you get better it's it's like kids who destroy like would destroy a house if you went to a friend's house that they would destroy it if you weren't paying attention you pay attention because you don't want to be the person who leaves behind a destroyed house right or who has to you know replace something that gets broken it's the same it's like the same kind of thing sometimes none of us want to be that mom, but sometimes it's just a phase that you have to do it for. Right. And I think that that's, we've got such a weird dichotomy about hovering like helicopter versus yeah. free range and all this stuff that doesn't really represent the truth of parenthood, which yes. is we all want to give our kids freedom, but sometimes it will come at a <laughs> danger right. to others. Right. Um, the other thing that I liked about what you said and what I was kind of thinking is I think we have a way of like over like blowing out of proportion um, discipline issues when they involve hurting other people, like mm-hmm. we apply motives to them that aren't there. Yeah. And so if you looked at this as something like, it's just the same as if your kid was in a phase where they throw toys all the time, right. like, you know, you put them on a high chair and they grab the toy and they throw it right off. It's kind of annoying. Yeah. And so you find ways to not have that happen. You anticipate yeah. that they're going to, you you know, don't hand them something when they're in that, or you sit right next to them so you can stop them or whatever it is you do, you figure it out, but you don't take it so personally because right. everyone knows that babies throw things. It's a developmental stage. It's, it's not a developmental a mor- stage. It's not a moral failing. <laughs> right. right. And when we see kids hurt each other, we jump right to this, like, there's something like either because we believe it or because we think other people will think yeah. it. We jump right to this, like we overemphasize the motive, Yeah, which doesn't really exist in any moral way. It yes. just, the motive is just developmental, just like it would be with any other annoying thing that right. a toddler can yep. do, like hanging on your legs, whining. It's annoying, but you don't get like, you don't get all upset and like, think that it means that your kid um, right. wants to hurt you. It's, it's weird how we, apply, I mean, it's not weird. It's totally normal and understandable, but sometimes not helpful the way we apply. Yes. I also think, to things. yes, I a hundred percent agree. A- another thing I liked about the um, Laura Markham article, which of course we'll link up at the is she went on from saying that kids might have tension that needs to be released to saying that often after biting a toddler will melt down and either have a good cry or sometimes like have a belly laugh and that there is literally that kind of emotion bubbling at the surface and that it's really important to let that happen. So if the biting, yeah. it doesn't mean you allow the biting because you know, they need to express their emotions. You don't need to allow biting, but if the biting is actually redirected and then the kid has a huge meltdown, you can actually see that as like, okay, 
they were going through something that needed release. Now let's like let them have that meltdown in a safe way. Let them get those emotions out. Or she even said sometimes it's it's a it's giggling. Sometimes they just yeah. need have they're like little teapots, right? Like it just yep. needs to explode. So seeing that I really liked seeing that part of it, not as a bad thing, but in fact, let that meltdown happen because that's probably the healthy release of emotion that the biting was kind of the tip of the iceberg for. Does that make sense? Kind of like uh, laughing at a funeral. Yeah. <laughs> <Yes>. um, <laughs> we and, don't actually think it's funny. No. Someone but has died, our, but yeah. like there's tension and, you know. Yes, yeah. they are. They are such primitive little humans. The other thing yeah. is I think is so funny about hearing about biters is I'm sure you would agree, Megan. There are just some kids who bite and some who don't. And if you think mm-hmm. of it like like you, some people, some kids are thumb suckers or some kids are picky eaters. Some kids are night owls or early, early birds. It's not a, it's not something you've done wrong. And it's not a predictor of your child's like temperament. It's just like some kids are biters and no kid is still biting in kindergarten. So it's just like you drew the biter straw in motherhood, but maybe you got an easier (laughs) straw in another, maybe your baby slept through the night. Do you know what I mean? Like, I just think of all of this is in like one of those um, lottery wheels of like the little lottery balls. And like, you're going to get the ones you're going to get. It's not your fault. And it's not like a, it's not something that carries more import than just, he's just a biter. And it's not a life sentence. It's not a life sentence. So, okay. So Kristen. Good luck, Kristen. Yeah. We'll link (laughs) up that article and uh, yeah. Biters, pinchers, hair pullers. We are welcoming back Vionic as a sponsor today. And Sarah, I will be honest. I was sorting through my warmer weather wardrobe the other day and it could seriously use a refresh, but you know, what's good to go. My shoes. I've got a great selection to choose from thanks to the Vionic Vitals collection. And lately, the pair I keep putting on again and again is the Uptown Loafer. I have two pairs, one in sand suede and the other in camel leather. But please don't make me pick a favorite. Oh, I won't. I'll let you keep both. That's so funny, Megan, because I was a little jealous of your Uptown Loafers. I was the last one on our team to get a pair, but I just did. I also got mine in the sand suede, and I think I've worn them like four times this week. They really finish off a cute spring outfit. The Vionic Vitals collection has the best essential styles for everyday wear to get you ready for spring. And no matter what shoes you choose, you'll be on the go in comfort because every single pair of Vionic shoes delivers their trademark Viomotion technology for a difference you can feel. Bionic sandals, sneakers, and flats all offer incredible support, stability, and cushioning, and every pair comes with a 30-day risk-free trial, so it's easy to try them out. Use code THEMOMHOUR15 at checkout for 15% off your entire order at bionicshoes.com when you log into your account. That's a one-time use only. Bionic Shoes, wearable well-being for your feet. Sarah, our sponsor, Haya Health, makes a kid's daily multivitamin that parents can feel great about giving their kids because they have no added sugars or dyes. And our kids who have tried Haya Vitamins have loved them, which is important, right? Because what good is a bottle of vitamins that your kid won't take? Haya was founded by two dads who didn't like the ingredients label on some of the popular children's vitamins they were seeing on store shelves. So they got to work developing a formula that would help fill the most common nutrient gaps in modern kids' diets. Haya's chewable kids vitamin is made with a blend of 12 organic fruits and vegetables and then supercharged with 15 essential vitamins and minerals. They're also vegan, dairy-free, allergy-free, gelatin-free, and nut-free. Haya manufactures their vitamins right here in the USA with globally sourced ingredients, and then they ship their chewable vitamins directly to your door on a pediatrician-recommended schedule. We've worked out a special deal with Haya for their best-selling children's vitamin. You're going to get 50% off your first order. To claim this deal, go to HayaHealth.com slash MomHour. 
This deal is not available on their regular website. Go to H-I-Y-A-H-E-A-L-T-H.com slash mom hour and get your kids the full body nourishment they need to grow into healthy adults. Okay, we are going to take a question. And this listener asked to remain anonymous. Um, and this is kind of a challenging Oh, a challenging issue. So I'll paraphrase here. But this listener has three kids and her neighbors have three little kids and the kids play outside in front in the cul-de-sac all the time. Um, I can relate to that. We have a very like front yard neighborhood here, too. We don't have a cul-de-sac, but um, and the families get along great. um, But the father of the other family has on more than one occasion parented her kids, this listener's kids, in a way that felt like yelling. So first her boys came home and said, Mom, the dad, you know, across the cul-de-sac is yelling at us. He's mean. And it sounds like she kind of carefully watched the situation. It sounds like she observed it, her husband observed it, and kind of validated her kids saying, he's not, this is not, like, they weren't in danger or being abused or anything. But the guy next door, the father next door, is is, um, reprimanding them in a way that, did not feel good to her kids. And, you know, after observing it did not feel good to her, her husband. Is that kind of how you read this, Megan? Yeah, for sure. Yep. And, and so now she's trying to figure out like kind of how to manage that friendship. Um, It sounds like she doesn't want the kids to stop playing together. She just doesn't want them to sort of be like alone in each other's backyard. Right. So it's this whole front yard, front yard versus in the house thing. And I can see this playing out in my neighborhood a little bit too. It's like, it's one thing of everybody's um, playing out front because it's like neutral territory and the parents are usually there, especially when there's yeah. little kids around. But if it comes to like, hey, come inside my house, let's play video games or let's go in the backyard or let's like go up to my bedroom, that takes the play date to a new level. And so yes. what this listener has done so far is it sounds like this was the beginning of the school year. So she used the excuse like, hey, we're just going to kind of take a break from all this extra play time to get used to the new school year, which first of all, pro, I love that excuse because it's a, it's a really good excuse it's pretty true like it is right. a good time to kind of reset the playtime routines so I think that was a great first step to just say okay we're gonna we're gonna take a break from so much playtime but now I think what she's wondering is like how do you kind of break up with this family it sounds like she does think a breakup is best she does not want her kids over there in their backyard being parented right. by these other parents that she doesn't feel good about but she doesn't want to totally lose the relationship because they're neighbors and friends that's kind of how yeah 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 so first of all i will say that the break i think makes will make it much easier for you to move forward in a more um restricted way like and and i don't i guess the question i would have um for anonymous is what are you gonna say when the neighbor kids say you know can you come into the backyard right do you say this isn't a good time. We'll talk later. I mean, I think any, yeah. I think there's a many ways you could handle this. I think that you could just do the perpetual put off, yeah. which I've done. Yeah. Like, just perpetually put off. It's yep. never a good time. There's always something else going on. Sorry. Or even, you know, if it's a kid asking, it's kind of easy. Sometimes kids don't always ask a lot of questions about like why something won't work. And you yeah. can just say, uh, no, I'd rather they just, you guys stay out front and play yeah. and ride your bikes. And you don't have to say anything more than that. The question is, what if the parents ask yeah. or are press? How, how willing are you anonymous to be really honest um, about the reasons and are you willing to lose this friendship for yourself? That's like kind of where it gets tricky. And Sarah, I don't know if you've had this situation before I've handled different things, different ways. And I've only ever had one family where I completely like cut off contact and it was pretty egregious. So I, I mean, I feel like I would white lie 
for a long yeah. time in this situation. I mean, I, and maybe I'll get flack for saying that, but especially because it sounds like the two moms get along well, the families right. get along well. So I think I would do the perpetual put off. Uh, she already did a great thing by using kind of a, a true excuse like, hey, it's the beginning of the right. school year. We're going to cut back on the backyard play dates. Um, I think I would continue to add those types of harmless little white lies like, gosh, our schedule has been so busy or we're doing a new dinner time routine. So we're all going to be inside at five o'clock, <laughs> like whatever, yeah, whatever you've got to do. I mean, I don't know that that's the right thing. I think that's how I would handle it. Um, I, I also think it would be interesting to watch her kids. I think she was really smart to watch her kids reaction. She didn't have a like a knee jerk reaction to this. Like she didn't mm-hmm. say like, oh, my gosh, that dad yelled at my kids once and we're never going to be friends we're again. Done. Right. It sounds like she her her boys on more than one occasion said, you know, the dad next door is yelling at us when we're right. over there. And then she took the time to observe. So I would continue to observe her boys. They're seven and nine. So they're old enough. And if they're not missing out on those, if they're not like crying and whining to go over to the neighbors to play upstairs they're probably ready for their own different friendships to evolve and it's probably a really natural time for the families to go their separate ways a little if they are missing their buddies um i you know i might pay attention to that too and maybe like maybe there's a way to like the thing with neighbor playdates is it's so hard because they're almost never scheduled. They just like, happen. They just happen. But yep. maybe there is a like maybe there's a way to plan something fun on neutral territory. Like, hey, we're all going to the park. Do you guys want to come? And just yep. you could then sort of um, have the kids get to be able to see their friends. So you're not depriving them of those relationships if, in fact, they're really missing them. But you're you're arranging it and you're just being that little bit of proactive to do it on neutral territory. Um, and then. I don't know. Yeah, I think the big question is, what if either the kids themselves or the parents across the cul-de-sac say, hey, what's going on? Are you avoiding us? Or, hey, mom, why don't we ever get to play together with them anymore? And that's the big question is like, how honest are you in that moment? Yeah. And I think for, you know, I think that looking at the age difference between the kids, it is also very natural that the kids, assuming, you know, your anonymous is nine and seven year olds aren't super bummed out about this kind of waning friendship yeah and it sounds like maybe they they it doesn't sound like she's pushed it too hard and also the boys know that there's a reason mom is doing this like the boys are are in on it right right so like they understand what's kind of what's going on yeah and it's very natural for kids to kind of start pulling away from neighbor friends when they have friends their own age maybe or they get involved in activities outside so yeah, I think that that's a really good plan. I think what you're saying makes a lot of sense, Sarah. And I have to say, I my feeling is the chances of these parents actually putting them on the spot is very slim. Yeah. I, I mean, unless they were best friends and right. it just totally ended, I don't see it happening. I agree. I agree. I think this is probably one where you can uh, naturally, organically, and um, safely extract yourself without too much drama. Um, maybe we should spend a minute though, Megan talking about this idea of other people yelling at your kids. Have you, yeah. has that ever come up for you or have you, cause oh, that's yeah. kind of a specific thing. Um, and I actually have memories as a kid because I did not grow up in a house where anyone yelled like that. Um, I have memories as a kid of being very, very intimidated by other adults who had a more yelly, tone and and I I was never like it nothing ever escalated by any means I was never like harmed or 
anything, but it's it's intimidating if you are not from a yelly house and someone else is dad or mom. Yeah. I remember a mom in particular that would just yell at her kids. And I, it was it was scary as a kid. Yeah. And I think, too, there's there's a spectrum, right? So if you come from a house that's very calm and very peaceful and people don't raise their voices very much or whatever. I mean, I could sound yelly to some kids because I will be the kid who's like it eh, or the mom who's like it. Eh, nope what you're doing right now or I'll see a kid and I'm, you know, at the pool and I'm like walking yeah. feet, walking feet. Cause I can't help myself. Yeah. And like, That's not, you are I, you not know, a yelly mom though. Well, but yeah, I know what you mean. But, but I, but I raise my voice and I think sometimes even that can be a little startling. So I think remembering that there's a spectrum is one place to start and trusting your gut and your kid's gut. I mean, there's a difference between a kid being a little taken aback because someone speaks to them a little differently than they're used to, or has a different house rule, which is normal. Right. right? And actually a good thing. Um, and someone being to the point where you're like, this is not okay. And this is not, this is making my f- kid feel bad, not uncomfortable. Uncomfortable, yeah. I think can be okay. It's like, it's getting used to something new, but like when it's uncomfortable to a, this is not right. And I feel poorly now because, and I don't want to be there or I'm stressed or whatever. Um, I will also say to flip this the other way, the family that I grew up in was not, we weren't yelly people, but we're loud and yeah you know, and, um, Jenna's parents were so quiet Mm -hmm. that I like had a really hard time around her parents for a long time. I thought they didn't like me. So yeah, (laughs) which is kind of funny, right? It's, it's just like opposite ends of the same token. Yeah. Um, which is funny to know them now, you know, 25 years later and just to realize they're her dad just doesn't speak a lot. And so, um, he probably liked me all along, but so there's discomfort and then there's the other thing. Yeah, no, I think, I think that's, really good. And they're also this whole situation is taking place at an age where kids are starting to be more independent and they will be around yeah. other people's parents more. I if I were this listener, I would also feel really, really good about the fact that her boys came to her and said, yeah, wait, I don't like the way that dad talks to me. Um, I mean, that is what you want to encourage. Like you want those kids to continue to come to you and say, hey, so-and-so's house is weird. I don't like it because of this. And some of the time that may just be their their naive interpretation of a family that's different, but sometimes it may be a red flag for something and you want to encourage that. So I think she should feel really good about the fact that the boys have come to her and and the boys are really lucky that she and her husband are taking it seriously enough. So um, it's like a sticky situation, but I feel like it's one that, hidden in here are some good nuggets of learning and growth and all of that. Yeah. All right. Did we solve it? I don't think we solved it. No, (laughs) but I don't think this one's solvable. Unfortunately, I think this is one of those sticky wickets that just doesn't, it's like, just, um, just, I, this is one of those where you, you take it situation by situation, I think. Okay. And hopefully it, well, then we'll need to have an update. I will be very yes. curious if it kind of resolves itself. Also, um, we love getting your emails, guys, because a lot of times you have opinions on the advice that we have given. And then, you know, sometimes it's stuff I can even forward on to the listener who asked it or whatever. So you can always email us at hello at the momhour.com if you have more advice to add. Um, so just to remind you guys, we have a fun segment with Allison coming up in just a minute, but Megan, do you, before we wrap, want to cue it up? Cue it up is our little, I do. Yeah, that's our segment where we pick an episode from our very vast and deep archives and, um, just point you guys toward another thing to listen to when you're finished with this episode. Yeah. So today's cue it up is an episode from August 1st, 2017. It's episode 113. And the title was defining your family's food values. Um, I loved this one because, well, I feel like we've been talking about food a lot lately Mm because it's fall and it's just food time. Um, But we, 
we really dissected what healthy food means for our families. But what I loved about this episode is we didn't really, I don't know, it, we weren't ascribing to any one kind of diet or right. way of eating. It was more like figuring out for you the behaviors and values around food that you try to model for your kids. And that's not just the kind of food you eat, but how you eat it. Right. Um, and the things that we as parents can do to, you know, model that healthy relationship with food and also just create a positive food culture in your house. So it's a lot, a lot less about why you eat what you eat, I yeah. think. And it was more about how you eat. And, and yeah, I love it too. I think food culture is such an interesting like family dynamic. I think I've learned a lot from you, Megan, about this. Mm -hmm. And I think part of the reason is it's really hard when your kids are teeny tiny <laughs> to yeah. think beyond like how small to cut the grapes and like why so-and-so won't touch meat and blah, blah, blah. But when you like zoom way out and think about food culture and food values and like the role that food plays in a much, much more abstract way in your family, I think it's a fascinating conversation. So um, that's a great pick. And it's one that I forgot. So yeah, so August of 2017, it's episode 113. You just scroll back in whatever you're listening to right now and find that one. That's a great one. Um, okay, so we're going to transition into my conversation with Allison, who just as a reminder, she had her baby um, just a few days ago. And the baby's name is Brooke. And she's doing really well. Yay. So you're going to hear us talk about her birth experience with her first pregnancy. Um, and then Allison will keep coming on with me every few weeks for the next couple months. So it's going to be awesome. Exciting. All right, guys. Talk to you next week. Okay. Hey, guys. It's Sarah. And I am here with Allison. Hey, Allison. Hey there, Sarah. So if you're catching this segment for the first time, Allison is joining us every few weeks to talk about her second pregnancy and soon-to-be second baby being born. And we're just doing this because it's really fun to follow along with a pregnant mama. Uh, Megan and I are far beyond these years, but so many of our listeners are right where you are, Allison. So thank you so much for being here. Oh, it's my pleasure. All right. So if you've if you've missed, I'll just catch you up real quick. Allison is due in September. So now um, with baby number two, a girl, her girls will be under two years apart, 22 months apart. Is that right? 20, yep. 22 months apart. Almost okay. two years. And they live. Allison's a full time working mom. She's going to get a nice six month maternity leave, which is awesome. And they live in the suburbs of Philly. So that's the Reader's Digest if you haven't joined us the last couple of times. And today we're going to talk about birth, kind of birth in general, because as we record this, you have not given birth. Not sure about when, when it airs, but um, <laughs> I'd love to just hear a little bit about your birth story with Claire and how that went for you, because that's such a, it's such a big influence on how you anticipate birth the second time around. Oh, it is. And I think what's interesting the second time around is now you've been there. So you know what to expect. Yes. And I don't know if that makes it better or worse. I think it's I, actually, to be honest, I think it causes some anxiety for some people. Not everybody, but um, you, you're blissfully unaware the first time. So I think it's normal to actually have that not be helpful. <laughs> yeah, I have to. I have to agree. Yeah. Because now, you know, at least you can you can anticipate um, from firsthand experience. Yeah. Yeah. So um, with Claire, I had her at 37 weeks um, and I actually never naturally went into labor. My water broke oh, okay. at um, 37 weeks. And so when that happens, you typically need to be induced within 24 hours. Yeah. How did it, where were you? Like, what was it sudden or? It wasn't. I was, it was um, a Sunday. I was at home. I woke up in the, or in the morning and, you know, had one of those moments, well, you know, 
not being able to hold in my yeah. pee would be a fun new, yeah. <laughs> fun new pregnancy symptom. Um, and so just kind of monitored it and, and called the doctor. Um, they let us know that it, it seemed likely that that was the case. Why don't I just head into labor and delivery? So you really but didn't d- know that your water had broken. You still I didn't. You thought you know, maybe I, you were I, just peeing. I had an inkling. Yeah, <laughs> I thought I was just peeing. Um, but, you know, I also knew so many women, especially at 37 weeks, would go into the hospital and they'd say, nothing's happening, right. just go home. Right. And so that's what I was expecting. So I was like, why rush? Right. <laughs> no, I'm just going to get in there. They're going to make me wait for a while and then I'm going to come home. So on the way to the hospital, Kyle and I went to Target <laughs> and we got stuff for the nursery. We went to get, get coffee, just meandering our way into the hospital. Um, and we get there. They confirm that my water is broken and they say, congratulations, you're having your daughter today. Oh my gosh. Um, and at that point, I, I think the craziest bit is that we had sold our house in the city. Okay. We're waiting for closing on our house in the <laughs> suburbs and we're living with my parents. Oh my gosh. So we were set to move in or to close um, that Tuesday. And this was a Sunday. So we had, we didn't have hospital bags. We didn't have right. a bassinet set up. We had absolutely nothing oh, prepared. Um, but so we got in there, definite water breaking. Um, they went ahead and induced me. Um, they said it would take 24 hours. It took um, two. Oh, my God. Which was quite so experience. It, with induction, did your contractions start pretty? I mean, for a lot of people, they're pretty uh, painful or strong right away with the Pitocin. They yeah, the, it, so they gave me, they actually never had to give me Pitocin. Okay. They gave me Cervidil and okay. then things kind of progressed really quickly on their own. But she was ready. She yeah, was ready to come. It was happening. But the one thing they did, and I will tell people time and time again not to do this, they thought it wouldn't um, actually go into labor until the morning. They were going to wait to give me Pitocin until the morning, just like let everything mm-hmm. work its way mm-hmm. overnight. Um, but of course, I, I started to go into labor, but they didn't know that. And so they gave me a sedative. Oh, wow. So I would fall asleep and then wake up with contractions screaming and then immediately fall back asleep. Oh, that sounds like torture. It was it was it was horrible. I think I I actually think it might have been worse for my husband. Yeah. Who was sitting there wide wide awake waiting for me to wake up screaming. <laughs> and did you have a pain management plan at this point? Were you planning to do an epidural or to wait and see if you needed it? Like what was what was what I did you think you would be doing? Yeah, I was more wait and see. I didn't really, because you don't know what you're getting into the first time around, I kind of just said, my goal at the end of this, my birth plan was to have my baby. Mm-hmm. And it was however I needed to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I would prefer to to have my baby valid, vaginally. You know, I would prefer this, but ultimately a healthy baby was my goal. Right. Um, and so at the, you know, Probably just two hours, I think, after they had given me the Cervidil um, and the sedative was finally wearing off, I ultimately did decide to have an epidural mm-hmm. and I have the best decision of my life. <laughs> I've heard <laughs> many say. people say that. <laughs> it was the best. Um, and then she was born at 245 that morning. Okay. So she, it was, it was pretty, she was, once things got moving, she was pretty quick. And she what was, time she did was you ready get to meet us. the hospital? Like afternoon? Uh, yeah, so we were checked in probably around four. Okay, yeah, and then she was born at two forty-five. That's really quick for a first. I mean, I know you know that, yeah. but 
Yeah. Yeah, I was. Which is why when pe- I tell people that I'm an hour from my hospital right now, I get some side eye. <laughs> right. Yes. We'll we, make it- we touched I- on that last time in the last <laughs> segment. But yeah, you've chosen that hospital because you had such a good experience, but have since moved farther away. Um, did they tell you anything about why your water might have broken at 37 weeks? Like just, just random? Was there anything other than she just was ready, but it wasn't with contractions. It just broke. It wasn't with contractions. It just broke. So there wasn't any real indication as to what could have happened. I, I was really active. I think I mentioned in my first pregnancy, so I was walking a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, it could have just been, I overdid it one day or, or what have you, but I think she was just ready. She was ready to join us. Yeah. (laughs) No, that's awesome. How, how big was she when she was born? She was six pounds, two ounces. So she was still a little lady and she ended up, um, you know, at the very end of pushing, she needed to have some assistance to get Mm -hmm. out. So we ended up with the vacuum suction. Uh Um, So she was little, she had the vacuum suction. So she ended up with some, some minor things that we needed to address when she was out. So we ended up in the hospital for five days um, postpartum. So a little bit longer than your average. Okay. Well, let's go ahead and talk about that. Cause I did, I did, even though we're talking about birth, I I wanted to talk about kind of that hospital stay. Um, So it was five days and was, was she having medical issues during that time or they just needed to watch her or what was going on? So she ended up with um, jaundice, Uh which is relatively common in most babies, but especially when they're just a little bit early or if they do need some kind of medical intervention for um, for when they come out. Mm -hmm. Um, And I don't is it common with um, C-sections as well? Yeah. Yeah. I don't think C-section versus vaginally affects jaundice. All my babies were slightly jaundiced, but not enough to require the light, but it was always like they were monitoring it right up till they sent us home. And I've had multiple friends, including my sister, who had a baby last year, um, have babies come home, be sent home and then have to get checked back in because oh. the bilirubin, what does it go up or down? Whatever it's supposed to be. I think it's yeah. up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It gets too high. Um, mm-hmm. And that is a big bummer. So in a way, staying a little longer for jaundice is probably less traumatic than getting all excited, going home, like starting to adjust to being home and then ending up back in the hospital, which I have a couple close people in my life who that's happened that to. That would and it's be rough. really hard. Yeah, it's just, yeah, because you'd think you're out. And you're, you're so you're fragile. Good. Like you're so, every like every transition is so big. So it's such a big deal to come home. And then it's such a big deal to go to that first pediatrician appointment and then to be told at the first pediatrician appointment that you have to go back to the hospital. It's just like, you're, you're just so fragile already. So yeah. Um, and then you're not being admitted so you're sitting in a chair next to your baby recovering yeah and you have all your postpartum stuff going on absolutely exactly well then you got that little bit of extra extra time in the hospital was that a mostly positive like did you have good help getting started with breastfeeding and good postpartum care they were wonderful. So um, we were able to work on breastfeeding right away um, with a lactation consultant. And even I was so I was discharged two days after she was born. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they still found a room for us. Oh, that's nice. So I was able to be in a bed with her next to me with the light. Yeah. Um, and they were able to work with us on breastfeeding. And even when they discharged us, they actually sent us home with a home health aid because um, oh, she that's... needed to continue the lights. That's awesome. So I, I felt like I had all of this help right off the bat to kind of um, figure things out yeah. and have that extra time to just get acquainted with being a mom and with breastfeeding. Um, and I, I think I, in large part, attribute that to being able to be successful with breastfeeding yeah. as we did struggle, yeah. I think, as most people do right off the yeah. bat. Yeah. And there's every 24-hour period when you're recovering, whether it's in the hospital or at a birth center or at home or whatever, wherever you are, 
um, is there's so much change that happens in the first 24 hours and then the second 24 hours. So I can see, while I'm sure you didn't want to stay for five days, I can see actually probably some benefits to having that continued care. I mean, it's like we always hear that in other parts of the world and in other times in our history, the postpartum lie-in, the lying-in period was a lot longer and a lot more supported. So there may have been that you got a little bit of that, even in a first world hospital situation. You just had that people attending you for a couple of days longer. And asking or answering questions, yes. you know, yeah. having that call button is really yeah. helpful. Yeah. Wouldn't that be nice <laughs> if we all just, I would still like a call button, actually. I think that sounds great. I think that sounds great for actually maternity or um, pre-baby. Yeah. Right now I could use a call button. <laughs> <laughs> a little a little button. Well, okay, so we're going to wrap up this segment. But um, if you guys missed Allison's introduction and when we talked about pregnancy, those are episodes 170 and 171. Um, I don't even know which episode this is because we're going to play it by ear a little bit when we air this. But Allison, next time I would like to talk a little bit more about postpartum. And I think yeah. by then you will have a baby. So or maybe not Fingers when crossed. we record. Yeah. <laughs> um, but in real time, guys, um, check out the show notes at themomhour.com. And we will link everything up there, including where to listen to Allison on the Crunchy Cocktail Hour podcast and find her online. Um, and Allison, thanks so much for being here. Thanks for having me. Guess what, Megan? Over 10,000 teens are already using our sponsor, Erica, to help them unplug. That is amazing. Erica, that's Erica with a K, is the social media health app for teens that gives them the tools to unplug whenever they need to for improved health, study focus, sleep, and daily balance. It's so cool how this works to hide distracting apps from your phone at the touch of a button, keeping them out of sight and out of mind without deleting your data. Yeah, you know, teens really get that social media comes with risks, including addiction. And Erica helps them build healthy habits and self-regulation that will benefit them their whole lives. Tell your teens about Erica and save 20% on the Erica family plan with promo code THEMOMHOUR. Go to erica.app and search for plans. That's Erica with a K, E-R-I-K-A dot A-P-P and use code THEMOMHOUR to save 20%. Sarah, I started a Substack last spring just kind of as an experiment, and it turns out I love it. I'm treating it kind of like an old school blog, writing about things that are happening in my life. Megan, I've loved following your stuff on Substack, and I actually just really like Substack in general. You know, we've both been a lot less active on Instagram lately, and I'm finding that Substack scratches that itch to connect and create without all the busyness of a typical social media feed. So I would love it if Mom Hour listeners wanted to look me up there. I'm at meganfrancis.substack.com, and that's Megan with two A's, M-E-A-G-A-N-Francis.substack.com.